Hello, everyone. My name is Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox podcast. On this show and on my website, myersdetox.com, we talk about all different types of topics related to detoxification and toxins like heavy metals and pesticides and chemicals that contribute to any myriad number of health conditions and symptoms. Today, we're gonna to focus on Parkinson's disease. And I have Dr. Ray Dorsey, who is a neurologist, who is campaigning to educate people about the man-made causes of Parkinson's. You know, He believes that Parkinson's is a man-made disease caused by heavy metals, pesticides, and chemicals, and air pollution. And we're gonna talk about that in depth today. And so some of the things that we're gonna cover are the number one heavy metal that causes Parkinson's-like symptoms and how you get this metal. We'll talk about the pesticide more toxic than glyphosate that scientists use in labs to induce Parkinson's in mice and it also causes Parkinson's in humans. And the fact that this pesticide is still used in the United States, but banned in countries like China and Europe and Russia and Africa. Um, but it's used here. And we'll also talk about the two early warning signs of Parkinson's and what to look for. We'll talk about the link between air pollution and Parkinson's and why Dr. Dorsey has found in the research that the, the particles, these nanoparticles and air pollution get into our nose and through our olfactory nervous system gets into our brain. He'll also talk about why he believes Parkinson's is a man-made disease. And because of that, it's totally preventable. And he talks about what you can do to prevent and reverse Parkinson's. So very, very good show today. Some of our most popular content is about the brain and you know improving functioning of the brain and preventing you know diseases of the brain. So this show is no different. So buckle up, this is gonna be a really good show. And I know some of you guys listening are concerned about your level of toxins in your body. That's why I created the Heavy Metals Quiz. So you can go to heavymetalsquiz.com, take the two-minute quiz, and based on a bunch of lifestyle factors, we give your assessment, whether you have high, low, or medium levels of toxins, and what you can do about that after you get your results. You get a free video series that answers a lot of your frequently asked questions about how to detox, how long does it take, what kind of testing should I do to find out my heavy metals, and uh, just lots of other questions are answered. So go check that out at heavymetalsquiz.com. Our guest today, Dr. Ray Dorsey, is a David M. Levy Professor of Neurology and Director of the Center for Health and Technology at the University of Rochester. The center seeks to provide care and research opportunities to anyone, anywhere. And Ray and his colleagues have written Ending Parkinson's Disease, a book that provides a prescription for ending this debilitating condition. 
Rain previously directed the Movement Disorders Division and Neurology Telemedicine at Johns Hopkins and worked as a consultant for McKinsey and Company. His research has been published in leading medical neurology and economic journals and has been featured on national public radio, the New York Times, and in the Wall Street Journal. In 2015, the White House recognized him as a champion for change for Parkinson's disease. You can learn more about his work and the book Ending Parkinson's Disease at endingpd.org. Dr. Dorsey, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Yeah, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and kind of your goals for your work? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show, Wendy. I'm a neurologist at the University of Rochester. I specialize in the care of individuals with Parkinson's disease. And as I've been looking at the data and listening to stories and my colleagues, it's becoming increasingly clear that Parkinson's disease is more common. And when you look at the data, Parkinson's disease is now the world's fastest growing brain disorder, Mm. even faster than Alzheimer's disease. And my colleagues and I spent the last two years writing a book called Ending Parkinson's Disease, in which we sought to investigate why is Parkinson's growing so fast. Yeah, and so what is the prevalence? So give us some numbers, what it was, say, 10 or 20 years ago, and what are the numbers now? What are we looking at? Because, I mean, so many people are dealing with a loved one or parent with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. What's going on? So I'm looking at my book right now. And so in 1990, there were 2.6 million people with Parkinson's disease in the entire world. Now there's 6.3 million. Mm. By 2040, it'll double to 12.9 million. Uh, To break it a little bit closer to home, there's about 1.1 million Americans with Parkinson's disease. Today, 200 Americans will be diagnosed with the condition Mm. and 100 people will die from the condition. And is that kind of adjusted for like the increase in the number of baby boomers or their increasing age? Is it related to that or is it something else? Both. So uh, Parkinson's is increasingly common uh, with age. But even if you take it out age, the number of people with Parkinson's disease is increasing three times faster than can be accounted just for by age. And we think there are numerous environmental factors that are driving this. And we're happy to discuss those. And are people getting diagnosed younger and younger versus uh, in the past? And we think there's a, probably a modest uh, trend toward being diagnosed earlier, but we think most of this is just individuals being affected uh, by the disease. Uh, when Dr. Parkinson described the condition in 1817 in London, he was describing something that was new or novel that he said had not been classified in medical literature since that time. And so when Dr. Parkinson described it, he's describing something that was exceedingly rare. Now we have something that's exceedingly common that's only happened the past two centuries. So when you see a disease develop from something exceedingly rare to exceedingly common in 200 years, you need to ask yourself, well, what's driving that? And it's hard to be genetic factors because our genes don't change that much in 200 years. It has to be our environment. And what are the environmental factors that are driving uh, this adoption? We think there are four big ones, all tied to the Industrial Revolution. One is air pollution. Two is heavy metals, often linked to the air pollution. Three are certain pesticides, including pesticides that we use every day in the United States. And four are industrial chemicals, especially this chemical called trichloroethylene. 
Mm, okay. Yeah. So let's go over that. And so first is for anyone who isn't aware, what exactly is Parkinson's? I mean, we know it's a form of dementia, but what does that look like? What are the symptoms? Yeah. So I wouldn't even say uh, Parkinson's can cause dementia, but I would just back up even sooner. It's a, even though we consider it a brain disease, it actually li likely begins outside the brain. And so it likely begins in the gut or in the nose. And the earliest symptoms of Parkinson's disease are actually constipation and loss of smell corresponding to the gut and the nose where the earliest signs of pathology are found. Classically, when people think of Parkinson's disease, they think of the tremor that people have. They think of the slow movement, the shuffling, the gait imbalance. And people like Muhammad Ali have had Parkinson's disease. Michael J. Fox has Parkinson's disease. Alan Alda, Pope John Paul II. So an increasing number of high-profile individuals have shared their story and we benefited from their sharing their story, but they put a face on the disease. Yes, and so, but it's considered a form of dementia, correct? I mean, what are the other symptoms? So dementia is a late manifestation of the disease. So actually most people with uh, Parkinson's disease aren't demented. Let's take Michael J. Fox, for example. He's yes. written three books. He's coming out with a third book. He's been on multiple TV shows all since having uh, Parkinson's disease. Alan Alda hosts a podcast with Parkinson's disease. Uh, Brian Grant's a former NBA player. Rich Clifford, an astronaut, went into space, did a space walk while he had Parkinson's disease. So these guys clearly don't have dementia. They're yes. smart and are more talented than I am and many other people. Uh, so uh, early on, Parkinson's disease doesn't cause dementia. It's a late manifestation of the disease after many years of the disease in older individuals. Uh, but the, really the early symptoms, uh, I think, give us clues to where the environmental causes that are playing a major role in the disease. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, so let's go over that. Let's go over air pollution first. What is contributing uh, to the formation of Parkinson's and air pollution? It's worth noting that, as I discussed, that uh, Parkinson's disease didn't begin until, or wasn't really, really noted until 1817. So what's going on in London in 1817 is the Industrial Revolution, England's its capital, and there's something called the London Fog. And the London Fog had nothing to do with weather and everything to do with air pollution. It's just like modern-day Beijing. You couldn't even see across the street. Uh, individuals would cover their mouths with scarves so that they wouldn't breathe in the toxic fumes. And these small air particles are inhaled and then they, the nose connects to the brain and it turns out these small particles called nanoparticles might be able to bypass the normal protective mechanisms of the brain and carry in heavy metals and trigger pathology that eventually leads to Parkinson's disease. And if you look in people with Parkinson's disease, the earliest signs of pathology before it's found in the brain is found in a part of the brain called the olfactory bulb, which is responsible for smell. So it's clear something's happening early in the course of the disease related to the nose. The second big uh, factor is uh, certain pesticides. So as you know, uh, pesticides are nerve toxins. Some of them are fat soluble. They target the parts of the cells that are damaged in uh, Parkinson's disease, the energy producing parts of the cells called mitochondria. They're fat soluble, they dissolve in fat, and the brain is essentially a fatty substance. In fact, the residues, the remnants of these pesticides can be found and have been found in the brains of individuals with Parkinson's disease. And when you feed some of these pesticides to animals, they develop the clinical and pathological features of Parkinson's disease. The mice develop Parkinson's disease when they're fed these pesticides. And then numerous studies from across the world have found that 
people who live in rural areas, including farmers and those who drink well water, are anywhere from 50 to 150% increased risk of developing Parkinson's disease. Wow. Yeah, and, and it's sad, all these, these agrochemicals that are being used on these industrial farms get into our water table and get into our drinking water, even if you're drinking spring water. Um, so it's a really huge problem. Yeah, and as you rightly point out, 40 million Americans, one out of every eight Americans gets their water not from municipal or city water, but from private wells. And those wells are not regulated by the Safe Drinking Water Act and are often infrequently tested, often only when someone buys or sells to their home. And so people who live in rural areas, even if they're not farmers themselves, are su subject to the runoff of pesticides from nearby farms that contaminate the water table, go into their private wells, and they, they and their children end up drinking this uh, pesticide-laden uh, water, sowing the seeds uh, for Parkinson's disease. Yeah, I have that. My mom lives on a ranch in Texas and they have a well and, and it was fine until the neighbor decided to drill for oil and, you know, make, you know, maybe five grand a month off that. They didn't do it properly. The well wasn't drilled properly and they got all the salt water and probably other chemicals from, because on the layer of oil, there's a layer of salt water on top of that. But obviously petrochemicals are going to be in there. And so that's contaminating their well now. And so it's not just pesticides, you know, it's petrochemicals and there's other chemical called trichloroethylene, widely used as a degreasing agent. It's the most common organic groundwater contaminant in the United States, contaminating up to 30% of groundwater in the United States. One of my colleagues did a study in which she examined twins and she lo looked at the rates of Parkinson's among twins exposed to TCE or trichloroethylene and twins not exposed to TCE. Those exposed to TCE didn't have a 5% or 15% or even a 50% increased risk of Parkinson's disease. They had a 500% increased risk mm. of developing Parkinson's disease. And this TCE used to be used, found in whiteout and even used to decaffeinate coffee as late as the 1970s, contaminates half of Superfund sites throughout the United States including 21 in Silicon Valley alone. Oh, well, I sniffed a lot of white out when I was a kid. <laughs> I would love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not probably... Not a good habit. <laughs> Luckily, I'm uh, detoxing now, so pretty heavily. Yeah, so um, any, any other thoughts on, uh, on the trichloroethylene? Any other uh, places where we get that? Yes, so widely used in the military. Uh, Rich Clifford, the man I uh, in introduced to you earlier who walked in space with Parkinson's disease was likely exposed to it uh, in the uh, army. It's used to clean uh, jet engines. It's used uh, as an industrial solvent, used in painting, used by embalmers, used by up to 8% of workers uh, in the United Kingdom have been exposed to uh, TCE mm. and likely a similar number in the United States. Yeah, yeah, just uh, these chemicals are just everywhere. I mean, there's 80 to 100,000 chemicals in, in the world. There's thousands more released every year, no safety studies, certainly no, no studies on how they potentiate each other or interact and then affect our bodies and cells and organ systems. Let's talk about heavy metals. So yes. this is a clear correlation between Parkinson's and heavy metals. Which ones are the culprits? So we know that manganese reproduces a, a syndrome that's very much like Parkinson's disease and welders, for example, have a high rate of having a Parkinson's disease or a Parkinson's disease related uh, syndrome. 
And then we think those small air particles, those nanoparticles, might be carrying uh, heavy metals along with them. And the heavy metals are using those air particles and hitching a ride uh, to go past your nose uh, and into your brain and damaging your brain. Now, a lot more research needs to be done with this, but there have been studies linking areas of high air pollution to higher rates of uh, Parkinson's disease, uh, for example. And if you look at where Parkinson's disease is most common, it's most common in the industrialized world, such as the United States and Western Europe, least common in the least industrialized parts of the world, like Sub-Saharan Africa, and increasing most rapidly in the most rapidly industrializing parts of the world, like India and China. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, so manganese deposits in the cerebellum, in the brain stem, and then effect can affect your motor coordination and whatnot. But it's, it's found in well water and jet fuel. And so that may be those correlations there as well. I mean, every single person I test for heavy metals that has well water, or if they have manganese, they've been drinking from well water at some point in their lives. Yes, and so I'm just pulling up a study right now. So um, manganese has been found in the front part of the brain, the back part of the brain responsible for visual processing, and the part of the brain that's most responsible for motor control, so-called the basal ganglia. So it's a, a big risk factor for uh, certain individuals with Parkinson's. Any other metals? I and mean, I've heard iron, aluminum, mercury uh, can be responsible as well. So less clear, uh, but it's likely, yes, iron, for example, could be implicated in uh, Parkinson's disease. How and by what route, uh, less clear, more research is needed. Okay, great. Any thoughts on mercury? Not for Parkinson's disease. You can get mad as a hatter and it can cause uh, other problems with the brain, but uh, off the top of my head, nothing related to Parkinson's disease. Yeah, because we know mercury is neurophilic. It loves nervous tissue and brain tissue and causes a whole host of other issues and forms of dementia and whatnot. So any other thoughts on, you know, chemical, what about agrochemicals? Well, agrochemicals are probably the biggest and that there's the evidence is clearest. And certain pesticides, I'll give you one, Paraquat. So Paraquat, created in the 1950s, considered the most toxic herbicide ever created, kills the weeds that round up, can't, been used to commit murder, used to commit suicide. 32 countries, including China, have banned it. The U.S. has not. In fact, use of Paraquat in the United States has doubled over the last 10 years. So China's banned Paraquat. United Arab Emirates has banned Paraquat. Syria has gotten around to banning Paraquat but the United States has not. And I'm going to show you just a map of where it's found in the United States. And then I'll show you something of what the EPA says. So this is a map of a paraquat uh, mm. in the United States. And it covers, as you can see, almost every part of the country, east yeah. of the Mississippi River and even uh, on the West Coast in California. Paraquat is very much similar in structure to another chemical that was the first environmental risk factor identified for Parkinson's disease. When scientists initially studied animals with Parkinson's disease, they gave them paraquat in order to generate animal models uh, of uh, Parkinson's disease. Because it was so um, reliable, reliable. So reliable, producing the clinical and pathological features of it, they put, gave it to mice. And that's how they started studying to see what the consequences of that exposure was and what new drugs might be helpful for it. Countries like England have banned it, but they export it to the United States. Yeah. So. England bans of pesticide, paraquat, uh, yet the, but yet exports it to other countries, Mexico, Brazil, 
and the United States. 100,000 people have signed a petition calling on it for, to be banned, yet the EPA has failed to ban paraquat. Yeah, yes, we love pesticides here. We love them. Um, and so, uh, and really so important to eat organic or you're getting uh, not just paraquat, but glyphosate and a whole host of other pesticides that really don't have enough literature showing their harm. There is a lot of evidence, but there's a lot more that's gonna be coming out in the future. And so for drugs, we requ FDA requires that all drugs that we take be safe and effective. You know, in some ways we have a higher standard for drugs than we do for pesticides, including pesticides that we know are harmful. Uh, you and I don't drive cars from the 1950s because uh, there are safer cars and safer cars. We're using chemicals from the 1950s, even though that there are safer alternatives to be had today. Yeah. And what about glyphosate? That's the, you know, on everyone's radar these days. What role does glyphosate play in Parkinson's? So not all pesticides have been linked to Parkinson's disease. Not all pesticides are nerve toxins. Not all pesticides dissolve in the brain. And when I looked at the literature, I really couldn't find anything linking glyphosate to Parkinson's disease. There's a wide range of other reasons you might not want to use uh, glyphosate. Uh, but for Parkinson's disease, it appears that there's certain nerve tox certain pesticides that are nerve toxins that dissolve in the fat and target the, the same parts of cells that we know are damaged in Parkinson's disease. And in fact, for many of these pesticides beyond just paraquat, we know when we feed them to animals, we reproduce the features of Parkinson's disease. In many cases, you couldn't have a much more compelling case for a major contributing factor to Parkinson's. Yeah, it seems like, you know, one of the, the kind of precursors to Parkinson's may be gut dysbiosis or problems in your gut. Glyphosate decimates your gut microbiome. So maybe an indirect correlation there, but there are a lot of factors working against our guts today. I mean, just there's stress and mineral deficiency, other heavy metals, antibiotics, natural antibiotics that people use, smoking, sugar. There's just so many things decimating our, our gut microbiome. And so we know that pesticides alter the gut microbiome, as you indicate. We also know that in some individuals with Parkinson's disease, the first signs of pathology are found in the gut. So even before people develop the tremor, you can find the pathology of Parkinson's disease in the gut. In this really powerful study, they took the gut of uh, mice with Parkinson's disease and transplanted it to other mice, and those mice developed uh, Parkinson's disease. Mm. So I think we're just beginning to see it. And as I indicated early on, one of the first symptoms of Parkinson's disease well before the tremor, years before the tremor, is constipation. And we think that the pathology in some individuals with Parkinson's disease spreads from the gut by a nerve called the vagus nerve that goes from the gut to the brain and uses that uh, nerve as a highway to spread the pathology up to the brain. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because, you know, we, we definitely are discovering that the intestines, it's like its own brain, and that we have to do everything we can to, to protect that. Our immunity lies there as well. Yes, it's, it's, it has its own nervous system. It even has its name, it's called the enteric nervous system. And so that enteric nervous system connects to the brain through this one nerve called the vagus nerve. Consider it a highway that goes from your gut to the lower part of your brain. And what about the food that we eat? Can you discuss that a little bit about, you know, things we need to be looking at to avoid or even foods that can, can help with Parkinson's? So I'll tell you a scary story. So there's this pesticide called heptachlor, and it was well known to be dangerous. The EPA banned it. 
But in the 1970s, I think, Hawaii, the Pineapple Growers Association said, we need heptachlor to keep our pineapples healthy. And so they got an exemption to use heptachlor on those pineapples. And normally when you're done with the pineapples, you would think you'd throw away the, you know, the tops, the, the chop that'd be left over from the pineapples. But no, they wanted to feed that top, that grassy top to cows. And they were supposed to wait a year before feeding the pineapples that were sprayed with this pesticide, but they didn't wait a year. And so they fed it to cows. This pesticide dissolves in fat. So when the cows are eating it, where does that pesticide go? It goes into the cow's milk. And where does that cow's milk go? It goes onto the grocery store. So the grocery stores in Hawaii soon found that their milk had high levels of heptachlor. Great. And so some, some researchers were like, hmm, so can we do anything with this? So they looked at people who drank high amounts of milk and they found in Hawaii that people who consumed high amounts of milk were more likely to develop Parkinson's disease. Mm. And then they looked at the brains of those individuals and they looked and they found that there were fewer dopamine producing nerve cells in the brains of those people with high milk consumption. And they found the remnants of heptachlor in the brain. Mm. They found the smoking gun. The heptachlor that had been sprayed on the pineapples had made its way from the pineapples to the cow, to the cow's milk, to the grocery store, to people's stomachs, into their blood, and then likely uh, into their brain. So we have a classic example now that numerous studies have found that milk, high milk consumption is associated with Parkinson's disease. I think that's in part related to uh, having high levels of fat-soluble pesticides uh, in that. Fortunately, heptachlor has now been banned in the United States, but still available in other parts of the world. So dairy's been one concern uh, with Parkinson's disease. On the flip side, a Mediterranean diet has been shown not only to be helpful for people with the disease, but might decrease your risk of developing Parkinson's disease by up to 20%. So a diet low in animal products, high in fruits and vegetables, hopefully organic, may decrease your risk of ever developing uh, Parkinson's disease. Another food that's been shown to be a beneficial are foods that are high in caffeine. Caffeine may be productive of nerve cells in the brain that uh, lead to Parkinson's disease. And so uh, diets that are high in caffeine, the equivalent of one to four cups of caffeinated coffee, may be able to decrease your risk of Parkinson's disease. Yes, I am. I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, I hear a couple of your listeners all cheering. <laughs> I know there's a lot of studies that show coffee's benefits for sure, because it's super high in antioxidants. You know, it's a superfood in my book. Um, so <laughs> any other foods that are neuroprotective? I'm trying to think of where the evidence is. No other big ones come. Uh, just to recap, dairy may be harmful, but I think that's predominantly due to the fact that pesticides and then uh, Mediterranean diet and caffeine may be protective. And as you suggest, and I've even since reading the book, I'm buying more organic produce and I wash my fruits and vegetables with a pesticide wash uh, that you can get from the grocery store. And so I wash all my fruits and vegetables and I would certainly do that if I had Parkinson's disease. And if I didn't want to develop Parkinson's disease, I would all wash all my fruits and vegetables with a little soap to decrease pesticide exposure. Yeah, it's even estimated that organic food has, you know, 7% of it still has pesticides on it because if it's next to a conventional farm and they're spraying the crops with the planes, the, some of it, the wind can carry it over to the other farm. So that that's a concern. And, you know, there's still metals in organic food. So I, I think people still need to be aware of that and 
take measures to detox their body. And that's what we talk yes. a lot about on the show. Uh, any thoughts on, you know, detoxification methods or other thoughts on prevention, preventing Parkinson's? So I'll do one on pure prevention. Another thing that, that I've, again, adopted all just since writing the book over the last two years is I have a, a carbon filter for my water. So some of these chemicals like trichloroethylene may be filtered out by carbon filters. And so, and send some pesticides may also be filtered. Uh, so that would be another protective uh, mechanism. Studies looking at chelation therapies like that have not really been shown to be a benefit for people with Parkinson's disease, and I wouldn't recommend them. I think the key thing is to not get them in your brain the first in the first place. Once they're in, it's really hard to figure out how to get them out. And then if you have the disease, that would limit further exposure, just like the analogy would be to cigarettes. You know, cigarettes cause cancer, and if you have lung cancer, the last thing you want to do is keep smoking. You, you don't want to be <laughs> letting can giving cancer uh, extra ammunition to harm yourself and I would do the same thing if I had Parkinson's. Okay, great. Do you have any other type of recommendations for prevention at all? Yeah, so we have uh, in our book, we outline a PACT, P-A-C-T, to first prevent Parkinson's, two, advocate for additional resources, three, care for everyone affected, and four, treat the disease with new and better therapies. So uh, on the prevention, we need a band paraquat and TCE, drink clean water, and if you get your water from a well, to test your well. So if you are one of the 40 million Americans who drink their water from their well, I would have it tested, especially for pesticides and for TCE. Um, that TCE can sometimes evaporate from the ground and enter your home undetected. So if you live near an, a super fun or industrial site, you can have your indoor air tested. We talked about uh, washing your fruits and vegetables in a Mediterranean diet. Vigorous exercise can decrease your risk of Parkinson's disease by about 20%. Uh, so that's uh, three and a half to four hours of you know swimming or running a week uh, can also do that. And then if you like to do sports like bicycling, like I do, wear a hat because concussions can increase your uh, risk of Parkinson's disease as well. And then for industrial workers, those who work with pesticides, those who landscapers who work on golf courses, you know, people who uh, spray chemicals on their lawn, spray less, maybe not at all, and then wear protective equipment when you're doing so. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. And so what are your goals for the future? Where, where are you kind of going with this? Are you, are you hoping to educate people, get the word out about how to prevent Parkinson's? We want to end the disease, and we think this is actually possible. In the 1950s, we had an unknown virus that was causing uh, children playing in swimming pools to become paralyzed. And that virus was known as polio. And we had a president who may have been affected by polio and drove a large federal response. We had a march of dimes in the 1950s, which people actually mailed in dimes to the White House. They mailed in so many dimes, they almost shut down the White House mailroom, raised millions of dollars, allowed two scientists, Jonas Salk and later Albert Sabin, to develop vaccines. And now polio's almost eradicated from the world and no one in the United States has polio. So we got rid of a disease altogether. 1980s, another virus uh, was affecting uh, people causing, was uniformly and rapidly fatal, was unknown. There was no federal response in the 1980s to this virus until a group of activists, first in New York City and then in San Francisco, organized, adopted a model of silence equals death. And they, in the course of 15 years, took HIV from a uniformly rapidly fatal disease to one that's among the most treatable conditions in the world. 
associated with a near normal life expectancy and have prevented thousands, if not millions of people, including you know people like you and me from ever developing HIV before. So we have examples from the 1950s and the 1980s, and if you want to send that to drunk driving uh, in the 2000s and 1990s for drunk driving, and even think about breast cancer today in the 21st century, we have examples throughout history, recent history, where a group of individuals most affected by the disease made their voices heard and took steps to prevent and end these diseases. And I think we can do the same for Parkinson's disease. We argue in our book that to a large extent, Parkinson's disease is man-made. To a large extent, Parkinson's disease is man-made. And to the extent that it's a man-made disease, it can be a human-ended one. And that's the message we're trying to get out. Yes, I love that. And that's what I I'm so passionate about getting the word out about the importance of detoxification. You can get all this garbage out of your body and take measures to prevent its influx into your body in the first place. But, you know, people have to, you know, they have to spend some time and money and effort doing that and not just leaving things, uh, hoping that a medication or someone's going to save me, you have to save yourself and you have to make better food choices and get in an infrared sauna and get this garbage out of your body. So a lot of different methods. And so if we ever in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic right now, and what's the response of any pandemic is one, to prevent people from getting the disease, right? So better than a cure for COVID is a vaccine or other measures that prevent people from ever getting it. Better than a cure for cancer is never to have cancer. I don't want to be cured of lung cancer. I never want to have lung cancer. I don't want to be cured of Parkinson's disease. I never want to have Parkinson's disease. And if Parkinson's disease is man-made or at least largely man-made, we can take actions to prevent people from ever developing this debilitating disease that robs people of 15 to 20 years of quality of life. Yeah, and the, and the thing that I've kind of been told over and over is prevention isn't doesn't like motivate people. It doesn't get people excited or make them take action. But that the the statistics are that the majority of people have a diagnosis or get a diagnosis at some point, Parkinson's, heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, all of these are driven by toxins in my personal belief and so many other health issues that people have. So your, your odds of getting diagnosed with something are very, very high. And so I, I beg people to look around them, look at their family members, look at their parents, look at their siblings and the diagnosis they have and don't wait until you get the diagnosis, take action today. If you have fatigue or you have gut issues or you have brain fog or mild symptoms, your body is trying to communicate something to you, don't wait until that, that escalates. It's way easier to prevent these diseases than to cure them. If 75% of the people hospitalized with COVID today either have diabetes, hypertension, or obesity, all preventable, all preventable. If we take actions to prevent those diseases, if we take these actions to prevent Parkinson's disease, we take actions to prevent uh, HIV, we can prevent ourselves from ever needing cures for these conditions, live healthier lives, and oh, by the way, save ourselves a whole lot of money. Yeah, exactly. And part of the, the, the silver lining of this pandemic is that, you know, I think it's this great awakening is happening where people are really driven to take better care of themselves, really start thinking about how to get healthier, how to lose weight, because they, they realize that they're more susceptible to not only COVID, but, but other health issues as well, other, you know, infections. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, so Dr. Doctor, thank you so much for coming on the show. Tell us where we can learn more about your work and get your book. So uh, Wendy, first of all, we're delighted to provide at least two free copies to the two first two people who email us at info at endingpd.org. Uh, just tell us that they heard about the book through you and we'll send them a free copy. Info at endingpd.org. Just give us your mailing address and we'll send you a free copy. The book's otherwise available on Amazon. I think it's discounted. I think it's $17.89. And you can also learn more about Parkinson's at our website, endingpd.org, endingpd.org. And that's the same name of your book? The name of the book is Ending Parkinson's Disease. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. So everyone, thank you so much for joining us for the show today. And Dr. Dorsey, thanks for coming on. Wendy, thank you, and thank you for all the great work that you're doing. You're making a difference in a lot, the lives of a lot of people and preventing a lot of people from ever getting many of these debilitating diseases. There's not much better gift than and ensuring that people stay healthy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really my pleasure uh, every week of all you guys listening to try to bring you this information, this life-saving information, because I, I truly believe that heavy metals and chemicals and pesticides are the number one primary drivers of disease today, Parkinson's being one of them. But you know, on this show, I'm trying to connect the dots for people. It's not, not enough just to talk about, oh, you need to detox, get rid of mercury, get rid of lead. I really wanna connect the dots and the help of your, your help, Dr. Dorsey, help people think about that I could get Parkinson's or cancers or heart disease or hypertension or diabetes or all of these things that dramatically impact your quality of life. My own father died from esophageal cancer and metabolic syndrome and on 10 different medications. And so I'm just trying to get that message across and help you or a loved one prevent that same fate. So everyone, thanks for tuning in. And I will talk to you guys next week. You can find me on myersdetox.com. We have hundreds of free podcasts, hundreds of free articles, tons of uh, information on there to help you live a detox lifestyle. Talk to you guys very soon. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.